Hello, chefs, and welcome to another episode of the Bake Like a Chef podcast. This is Chef Matt. You can call me Chef. You can call me Matt. You can call me Chef Matt. I will proudly respond to any of those. Before we get started, I just wanted to say I am very excited because now we are going to start talking about food and technique. And I'm going to start with the basics. I'm going to start with things like meringues and sabayon and cooked sugar and custards and some of the basics of baking to help establish some fundamentals that will lead to better technique down the road and help support you in making more complex things later. In the next two episodes, I'll be speaking very specifically about meringues and the nature of meringues and then about techniques or types of meringues and some more specifics about how you you will find them in the world and how you will use them to do whatever it is you want to do. So once you start to see some of the dynamics of how meringues are put together, you can start solving problems for yourself. And so in this first episode, what we're going to talk about today, in this first episode about meringues, meringue episode number one, we're going to talk about just meringues in general. So having said that, let's get started. Okay, so a little on the basics of meringues. And so when we speak about a meringue, we are talking about an egg white that is whipped with sugar into a foam and then used for some purpose. Now, it could be to fold into a cake to provide leavening and provide structure. It can be something that's dried into a crispy sort of cookie or a crispy shell. It can be something that is put on top of a pie and charred to add its own flavor and, and own body. Um, this is similarly with something like floating islands. It could be put in a sauce on a plate, so it could be poached and put in a sauce to provide its own flavor as a meringue. But ultimately, it is simply the product of whipping together egg whites and sugar. And if I remember correctly, there's actually a name for whipped egg whites without sugar. But we won't get into that here. And for our purposes, when we speak about meringues in the process of baking, we are speaking about taking any amount of sugar and any amount of egg whites and whipping it into a foam. I won't get too much into the history of this uh, because everything I've read about the history of meringues is really about attribution. It doesn't seemingly provide any significance to the nature of meringues. It doesn't help inform how they're made, why they're made. But if you know more about meringues and you know something about the history and the, the context within which they were created... And you see how it might provide value to this conversation, you know, please feel free to reach out to us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at We Bake Like Chefs, on Instagram at Bake Like a Chef, and just let us know. So before you get started, if you're not familiar with egg separating techniques, I might recommend that you go spend some time on YouTube and look into egg separating techniques. We have a post on that on Bake Like a Chef, www.bakelikeachef slash separating eggs get a handle on that. There's some information out there about how cleanly you need to separate your eggs. And what I would say is for now, do your best to separate them very, very well. So there have been some recent tests that suggest that you can have a dot of oil or a dot of yolks in your egg whites, and it won't really negatively impact your output. But Everything I've ever learned about making meringues and everything that you will ever be taught about making meringues, at least in recent history and moving into the near future, will suggest that you need to have a perfectly clean bowl, perfectly clean utensils, that you can't have a dot of 
anything that contains fat or oil in your egg whites. Otherwise, it will not allow them to whip up to full volume and it will not allow them to retain their structure. And so what I would suggest is for now, maintain that rigor. Don't violate that. Let's just call it common knowledge. And I'll get into a little bit of that in the next episode where we go into the details of process. But for now, you know, adhere rigorously to this rule of having a clean bowl, having a clean whip, not allowing any fat into the bowl and separating your egg whites perfectly so that there's no yolk in them. Okay, so now that we know what a meringue is and we've skipped past the history and we know that we need to separate our eggs well, I want to talk a little bit about ratios. Um, And again, I'll go into this in more depth in the next episode. But generally, if someone asks you to make a meringue, they say, go make me a meringue. They are talking about something that is roughly two parts sugar to one part egg white. Whatever process you use, that's roughly what they're talking about. Now, if you're making a cake and you need to fold in a meringue, they won't oftentimes call it a meringue, but your ratio will be a lot lower. You have a lot less sugar. If you're making something like a confection, you'll have a lot more sugar. But generally, if someone says, go make me a meringue, maybe they want meringue cookies. Maybe they want to make a meringue layer with nuts folded into it uh, to make some sort of cake like a decoit, or they want to make, um, you know, fold some almonds into it and, and put it into a layer. And maybe they want to dry it as cookies, two part sugar, one part egg whites, and then you go through your normal process. And as you reduce the sugar, what you'll find is your bubbles will be larger and less consistent. It'll be an airier meringue. And as you add sugar, the bubbles will be smaller. They'll be a lot more consistent and it'll be very dense and creamy. The two to one ratio produces a fairly dense and creamy meringue. It's still fairly airy, but it's a good balance. And I think that's why it it has become sort of the rule of thumb for meringues. You may not want to try to fold this into a cake because it's, it's fairly dense and might require a fair amount of effort. And it's too hydrated to become a confection. But it does fit in that space where you're making buttercreams, where you're making dried meringue shells, where you're making meringue cookies, so on and so forth, cake layers, etc. So two parts sugar, one part egg white, both by weight in the appropriate volume for you. So if you're using a standard, you know, three to six quart KitchenAid, you might be dealing with five to eight ounces of egg whites and 10 to 16 ounces of sugar. Um, maybe 150 to 250 grams of egg whites to 300 to 500 grams of sugar in that space. It all depends on you having just enough that the whip can do its job, but not so much that the bowl overflows when you're done with your meringue. And that brings up an interesting point that oftentimes you'll hear numbers around the area of meringues will whip up or egg whites will whip up to roughly eight to 12 times their volume. I've I've heard lower numbers. I haven't heard anything higher than 12. Um, And I find that to be relatively accurate, but it's something that you need to take into consideration when you're whipping your egg whites because um, they can whip up to a certain volume and then they can wrap around your, your mixer and you can get all sorts of who knows, but just something to be mindful of, you know, know your, know your equipment, know your 
volumes, know this ratio that it's going to go eight to 12 times the vo- the current volume and, and plan ahead for it. If I remember correctly for a three and a half quart KitchenAid, you can do at most about eight egg whites. And beyond that, you're, it's too much. You need to start thinking about batches. So one way you will hear us speak differently about meringues at Bake Like a Chef. Um, oftentimes when you look up meringues, they are presented as recipes. So can you give me a recipe for a Swiss meringue? Can you give me a recipe for an Italian meringue? What is the recipe for a French meringue? And, uh, you know, I would encourage you to continue to speak about them that way because that is how the world speaks about them. But when I speak about them or when we speak about them, we're going to talk about them in terms of methods because ultimately it's the same thing. And I'll go over them quickly here, but we'll talk about them in more depth in the next episode that you have a French and Italian meringue, which are very similar, that you whip the egg whites on their own with some cream of tartar up to a certain point, and then you add the sugar and then you whip them until they're finished. And a Swiss meringue from a method standpoint, is a little different. The Italian and French meringues are different because one uses granular sugar, French meringue. The other uses cooked sugar up to softball, which is the Italian meringue. But it's basically the same thing. You get your egg whites up to a certain point, up to a certain foaminess, and then you incorporate your sugar, and then you finish it. Swiss meringue is a little different, and where you will take your egg whites and your sugar, and you will mix them together ahead of time and bring them up to a temperature 140 to 160 degrees depending on who you ask and then you will whip them um, and for that reason it's it's very easy it has its benefits that we'll we'll speak uh, about next time but those are the two general methods and you'll use them for different reasons and oftentimes those reasons are determined by two things one the amount of sugar that you're incorporating and that has to do a lot with stability and worrying about getting the grains of sugar to fully dissolve into the meringue so that it's not crunchy Um, and the other is um, sort of pasteurization so that it's more shelf stable Um, and i think those are generally the two considerations there's also another one that i think is a little more conceptual is that when you're making something like a cake you're gonna have a really low ratio of sugar to egg whites and oftentimes you're going to bake it anyway so it does deal a little with pasteurization but it also deals with this very low ratio so you're most likely going to make a french meringue why would you go to all the trouble to make an italian meringue where you're cooking a very tiny bit of sugar to put in a very tiny amount of uh, egg whites where it's not going to make a huge amount of difference and ultimately it's going to be folded into a batter and baked so that's what I, I would suggest. When you think about the different methods, the thing I want you to keep in mind is this idea of uh, pasteurization and the dissolving of the sugar. And some of this will be uh, affected by the method itself um, and the very rigorous way you pursue the French method of making a meringue. The French meringue will help support you in dissolving those grains of sugar. But there's a certain point where you stop and you say, there's so much sugar in this. I want to make an Italian meringue because I'm going to be working with softball sugar. It's already in a liquid state and it will have significantly less challenge dissolving into the egg whites and to all of the water that's in those egg whites. So today we're going to talk about meringues. I'm going to go over some of the basics of meringues. I'll I'll talk about a lot of the details in the next episode and go through the methods and speak a little more detail about the ratio of sugar 
to egg whites, but I wanted to go over the basics today. So we'll talk about what meringues are. I'll mention a little bit about egg separation and hopefully point you to some good resources. We'll talk about the common ratios of sugar to egg white. I'll briefly describe some of the methods and, and some considerations you might make when choosing a method. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the characteristics and how they change with different input to change the nature of the meringue on, on the way out. So change the nature of the product you produce and then some considerations for why. We'll go into a lot more detail in the subsequent episode when we talk about the different um, methods in more depth. The last thing I wanted to cover in this episode is very specifically the big yellow elephant in the room is, you know, what do you do with these egg yolks that you have left over? You know, you've, you've separated eight egg whites because you need to make a big volume of meringue. Maybe you're going to make a buttercream and ice a wedding cake and you have all these yolks left over. What can you do with them? So there are some cases where you'll naturally use your egg yolks. If you're making biscuit, uh, you're making lady fingers, you'll naturally make a meringue, you'll naturally make a savillon, you'll naturally fold them together. You know, everything's great there. Um, if you're in the cake business, there are some things that you consider things that preserve fairly well, or you could sell them because they're delicious. You know, you can make a curd, so you can make a lemon curd, lime curd, uh, passion fruit curd. Any of those are, are great to use. If you're in a restaurant, you know, you might consider making creme brulee. You know, you might not take something where egg yolks are desirable and make creme brulee. If you are more in an experimental place, you may salt cure those egg yolks. If you've never done that before, it makes something that when grated is similar to um, Parmesan cheese. You can grate it over top of things. It might be an interesting ingredient. But ultimately in the pastry space, when it comes to egg yolks, there are so many interesting and delicious things that you can do. Ice cream, anything in the custard space, creme brulee, ice cream, um, buttercreme, and then anything in the Zabillon space. Maybe you want to put together a tiramisu. Maybe you want to make a mousse, like a nice, rich, creamy mousse, a bomb-based mousse. So you'd use your egg yolks to make that foam. And if you have ideas about how to use yolks, a way that you like to use your yolks or a way that you incorporate yolks into your business or your work, uh, you know, please reach out to Bake Like a Chef on social media at We Bake Like Chefs on Twitter and Facebook, at Bake Like a Chef on Instagram, and let us know how you use your yolks. But generally, when it comes to yolks, for me, I try to incorporate them back into the recipe. So if I'm making a cake and I know I need a nice white icing on the outside, I might use the yolks to make a French buttercream for the filling. And it's actually what I prefer to do, like something like a, a rich chocolate buttercream. I'll make a French buttercream. If I want to make a praline buttercream, I'll make a French buttercream because the suppleness and the richness of the yolks add a lot of wonderful depth to it. But if you're not going down that road, if you can't use the yolks, like I mentioned, think about custards, think about ice cream. There are just so many opportunities out there to use yolks, um, but make sure to use them because they're, they're very delicious and you don't want to waste any ingredients. So there you have it. We've talked briefly about meringues, what they are, common ratios of sugar to egg white, we spoke a little bit about separating eggs, and again, there'll be some resources on the website for you to explore. Uh, we definitely have a post about it, and then I'll point to that in the show notes. But also, spend some time on YouTube, and please share back any really great content you find that supports egg separating techniques. We spoke about basically about the methods and why you would use them, or the types of meringue. It's uh, Swiss, French, and Italian meringues. 
and a bit about the characteristics of meringues. And my hope is that this will give you the foundation of understanding that along with our next episode about the very specific methods, we'll put you in a position where this is secondhand because making a meringue should be a secondhand technique for you. However you do it, you should not have to think about it. And in fact, it should be something that allows you to expand your repertoire, expand what you make and how you make it and considerations for changing the nature of what you're making to produce better product, produce product that's unique to you, to produce product that supports your customers. And again, it's foundational. So thank you for listening today. If you like this episode and you like Bake Like a Chef and it is helping you make considerations and learn and grow as a baker and pastry chef, please make a point of going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Every review helps us improve the show and helps share what we're doing here with others that might appreciate it. So if you could take just a few minutes to do that, we would appreciate it. Thanks again, and we will talk soon.